Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation made a promise to ensure we never forget. Since then, Tunnel to Towers has been committed to supporting America's heroes and their families. Heroes like U.S. Army Specialist Michael Hook. Hook was killed in Iraq when his helicopter was shot down. He enlisted in the military after graduating high school and left behind a pregnant fiancé who gave birth to a son that he would never meet. But thanks to the generosity of friends like you, Tunnel to Towers paid off the mortgage on his family's home, relieving a financial burden and bringing stability. The foundation helps Gold Star and Fallen First Responder families, as well as our nation's most severely injured heroes and homeless veterans. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. America's heroes are counting on you. 95 cents of every dollar you give goes directly to its programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices our heroes have made for us. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Buck Sexton Show. Very pleased to have joining us for this deep dive into all things that matter. Our friend Carol Markowitz of the New York Post, also co-author of a fantastic book that all of you should be checking out, Stolen Youth. And a refugee from New York City to Florida. She helped lead the charge. Carol, great to have you on the program. Hi, Buck. Thanks so much for having me. I feel like we, we could start with your your book, if that's all right, just because sure. um, right now there are some areas where I want to get conservatives to be paying a lot more attention. And mm-hmm. the indoctrination, I, I'm doing research right now uh, that's that's going to be comparing the uh, brainwashing of totalitarian regimes to what uh, Democrats are doing. Like I'm actually very deep into this. I'm looking very closely at at parallels and things. Um, But what they're they're doing to our kids. (laughs) Um, That's the first chapter of the book. Tell me about it. um, Yeah. So it compares totalitarian regimes to what the left is doing in America right now. And it particularly compares where the totalitarian regimes of the past have always tried to sever the connection between parent and child in order to get the child well indoctrinated and to get the parent kind of removed from the whole process. Um, as you know, I was born in the Soviet Union. This is really personal to me. And I it is a history of my family that I've heard about uh, my whole life that that was always part of it. The 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 removal of the child from the parents was very important. And that's how you got them. Yeah. I, I remember actually reading uh, in the New York times or it was a New York times sort of throwback to their assessments back in the, in the early eighties of uh, universal childcare in the Soviet union. And, and mm-hmm. there were people, this is not something that anybody would talk about anymore, of course, but there were American liberals who were like, Hey, look at the great universal childcare the Soviets had. And it was a very important part of the Soviet machine 
because they wanted people to, uh, well, they wanted men and women to be able to go do these, you know, factory jobs or bureaucrats or whatever it was that they were doing. So they just plopped all the kids in to train them that this horrific system that they were all in was great. And the parents got to make, you know, really poorly functioning widgets all day at the factory. So it's funny because, you know, my parents, whenever they would read these kinds of stories, would be like, I would love to see one of these people who like, these, you know, I mean, they, they, my parents didn't say this, but I'm saying it now, like the, the quinoa eating, you know, $5 coffee every morning at least, um, you know, $30,000 preschool plus uh, parents see what this Soviet child care looked like and the people that took care of your children and what they did all day and the, the food that they ate and all of that, and just the setting, the grim, gray, unhappy setting that these kids were in. My parents are always like, I'd love to see any of these proponents of the system actually send their kids to something that looked like this. And yet here we are now, I think seeing more than ever that the progression goes from why are you guys making, I, I've really noticed this a lot more in the last few years than ever before. Why are you making such a big deal out of this? This is what the left and this is the, you know, the Democrat right. core will say whenever we start to recognize something. And yeah. certainly when it comes to teaching kids certain things in school and, you know, meaning whether, it, whether it's CRT or really aggressive radical gender theory stuff right. uh, or, or even mm-hmm. The uh, this the you know drag queen performances for small children with full grown men with like you know their backsides bouncing around in, in the faces of small children. At first, mm-hmm. it's why are you making such a big deal out of this? And then eventually, when right. they do it enough, then they just start to say, "Yeah, this is what we do now. This is really important to us." Right. It's also the this isn't happening. It's good that this is happening. Like switch. It always starts with what are you guys talking about? This is totally not happening. Nobody's trying to take away your gas stove. And then, you know, Kathy Hochul in New York puts together her budget and it phases out the gas stove. Suddenly it's good that this is happening. It's good for the environment. It's good for your air. You can breathe better, etc. And they do this on so many different levels and constantly there's so much gaslighting. And I have to say that like my whole life, um, I've had times where people have asked me, like, doesn't this moment feel very Soviet to you? And it was like the 90s and the Clinton years and whatever. And I, it didn't. It really didn't. But this moment does. And it's creepy and um, so uh, just... So uh, the walls seem to be closing in on our society where there's only you can only say certain things and you can only say them a certain way. And conformity is so important. And the left is just making our society ever more conformist. And it is very reminiscent of the stories that my family told. Very. Well, well this is why uh, with with covid, it has reoriented my, my whole framework for American politics. You know, before yeah. that. Uh, I I felt like the Kavanaugh moment was uh, a very important political shift that many of us experienced. I know it was just one Supreme Court seat, one Supreme Court nomination. uh, No, it was eye-opening. But but it was eye-opening because you had the entire Democrat machine. I I call it the apparatus, right? Soviet, uh, you know, uh, apparatchiks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. But the apparatus of the Democrat Party so obviously went along with the most absurd smears and lies about whether you like his jurisprudence or not, a, a, a good and honorable guy who just didn't represent what their needs of, uh, of power uh, didn't represent what would give them power. Uh, and so they just decided to destroy him and, and feel good. And Kamala Harris was a part of it. I mean, Cory Booker was a part of it. There are people who are still held in high esteem by the Democrats. What they did was horrific beyond words. I also think with COVID, what we saw was now and now I worry that, that they would do anything to destroy, you know, your your neighbor or or you or your family member if it meant that they could have more power. That's what Kavanaugh showed us. But then with, with with COVID, it was they'll believe any lies, go along with them, mm-hmm. either propagate them themselves or be subservient to them in the cause of the collective. That Absolutely. felt very that felt very Soviet to me. That felt like. Something that I didn't expect to see in America, all the COVID madness that you and I have talked about so much. So we have a COVID chapter in the book, and you're absolutely right. And there were moments like 
Um, if Donald Trump wants schools to open, then the Democrats don't want schools to open. And the Democrats were against public schools. I mean, when did that happen? Um, how did that shift happen? And it, it was only despite him. And it, it's, it's wild to look back at this now and see that their special interest group allies and teachers unions got them to support closing down public schools while private schools stayed open. It was just mind-boggling to like look back at this and see that this actually happened so yeah i agree i agree that it's it's they'll do anything in the pursuit of power anything to indoctrinate these kids and i don't see a bottom here yeah i was gonna ask do you think do you believe that a lot of the people randy weingarten perfect example does she actually believe it when she says that she's doing things for the benefit of children. You, I mean, you and I agree she's not. But does oh, she think? Not. Does she think she is, or is it all just a con, a lie, an abuse, propaganda, meant in the pursuit of power for the left and for the collectivists? So it's hard to say, especially with her. She's sort of George Costanza, a lie is not a lie if you believe it kind of situation, because she now says that she was for opening schools. And once you say that, once you say that you're Randy Weingarten and you wanted to open schools all along, she says that she's been wanting to open schools since April 2020. And you believe this, really believe this? I mean, it's sociopathic behavior. She did not want schools to open school year 2020, but it's important to remember she did not want schools to open school year 2021 either. She wanted them closed for the second school year. And, you know, thank God for Ron DeSantis in Florida leading the way on opening schools because the rest of the country might be locked down for that year as well. They would have just not had an example to look to and been like, well, this is how it works. This is how schools open and kids get to go back to school. And we don't have to listen to Randy Weingarten. I want to ask you about the CNN syndrome in a second, uh, Carol. But first, I do have to take a moment for our sponsor here, American Giant. American Giant's incredibly comfortable hoodies are a necessary addition to your wardrobe. Look, I'm all about comfort and American Giant delivers on that. Get yourself hooked up with one of American Giant's classic full zip hoodies or one of their newly released relaxed classic full zip hoodie. The newest one, by the way, is perfectly crafted for the days you get home from work or you just want to be comfortable as you're running around town. Both made with incredible quality and durability. One's just a slightly roomier fit. It'll remind you of your favorite college sweatshirt. Uh, Carrie's got mine. She wears them all over the apartment now all the time because, you know, they're just big and comfy. You're going to love them. American Giant makes everything in the USA, and they obsess over every detail in construction of these garments. American Giant's more than just hoodies, flannels, sweaters, joggers, tanks, sweatpants, and everyday denim. And they're so comfortable, you're going to absolutely love them. And uh, you should just go get some American Giant as soon as you possibly can. Get You'll get 25, I'm sorry, 20% off, pardon me, 20% off at AmericanGiant.com and use my name, Buck, as the promo code. Uh, AmericanGiant.com, use promo code Buck, you'll get 20% off. You're going to love this gear, love these hoodies. Speaking of gear, before I get into the CNN, uh, the CNN effect, Carol, um, Carrie, my new wife, which we'll talk more about. This is very exciting. Just got married. Um, She saw me today and I didn't even think about this. She saw me and she's like, you need to change. And I was like, (laughs) why? She said, because it looks like Zelensky is walking around our apartment (laughs) wearing a kind of olive green T-shirt right now. And and then like this morning, we're having coffee together. I was like, come on, what do you mean? Like, I need to fight against the Russians. And I was, she was like, now you're really freaking me out, right? Like, you get like a Zelensky thing going, but... You gotta work he, in the accent. But. Oh, come on, that's pretty close, I thought, you know? He's very low. He's down here. He has like this very gruff... Anyway, I know. See, you actually, former Soviet, you under, you know, like the, the intricacies of the accent. Um, I guess my Fauci and my Zelensky probably sound a little too much alike. But uh, yeah, now if you wear an olive, like drab T-shirt anywhere... Um, you, you are apparently channeling, channeling Zelensky. Okay. So the CNN, (laughs) the CNN effect, um, also wait, before I get to that, what do you think about these, uh, wedding bands that are made of, so I have a, you know, the platinum wedding ring that I'll wear now when I go out and all that sort of stuff, I guess. Mm -hmm. I like these, uh, just the, the sort of rubber, uh, silicone ring that you wear. It's a symbol. It's just more comfortable on your hand. But she's I've like, I've never no. heard of this. You've never heard yeah, of no, this? No, no, it's, oh. it's great. I, I just, you know, you young people today, I don't know what you're up to. <laughs> oh, okay. Because, well, you know, if, if I were to go, let's say, if I was to go wail on my pecs at the gym, which could definitely use some some whaling these days, 
uh, if you're wearing a, like an actual gold or, or silver or platinum ring, you know, it can get scuffed up and it can get right. kind of, you know, it, it, it you know, uh, clinks against the metal. Whereas with this, you can go and lift. But then she's like, well, are you just going to wear it for the gym only? Or are you going to wear it all the time? <laughs> and this is kind of, you know, look, I didn't even wear a tie at my wedding. So I'm just increasingly approaching okay. this functional comfort uh, for everything in life. I think functional comfort right. is essential. Uh, and, and I, for, you know, I, so I'm waging a one man war against the necktie. Uh, I, I will tell everybody suits are not suits for men. I have custom made suits, only a couple of them, but not comfortable. They're, they're not right. as comfortable as other things that I can just wear. And I think you're right on ties. My, my husband is over ties also. Um, we were just talking about my daughter's having a bat mitzvah soon. None of my, none of the men in my family are wearing a tie. Some, some fun history for everybody listening. The tie is a holdover from the uh, court of Louis XIV, who hired a corps of mercenaries from Croatia. They were called the Hravati. And one way that they would distinguish themselves, this is when battlefield distinguishing was much more important than battlefield camouflage, which also is why you had, for example, the Landsknechts of Germany, who had very brightly colored colored clothing, and that became, in a battle, imagine somebody with bright orange and red and you know green, mm-hmm. and they would also wear a very prominent cod piece, which there's a whole Freudian aspect to that, I guess. <laughs> but the uh, but back to Louis the Fourteenth, the Landsknechts, by the way, uh, saved. First siege of Vienna. Talk about that another time. You know, Christendom was about to get overrun by the uh, forces of the Ottoman Empire. But you go to 14th century. I'm sorry, uh, Louis the 14th. And he hired the Hrvati to be in the service of the French uh, military. And they wore a brightly colored cloth around their neck, which came to be known as a Hrvat or the French Mm -hmm. cravat, the necktie. And so now, hundreds of years later, I'm supposed to have some, you know, (laughs) some torture device around my neck on a hot day down in Florida because people say it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. No, you, you lead the way on this. Thank That's you. right. Thank you. I like that you think this because people are like, oh, they're, they're horrified of this. I'm like, Look, I think I think the cut of clothing and looking good and all that is, you know, is a good thing, right? People should try. But I also think that another one, another one, Carol, women who are uh-huh. telling me all the time you how much the rubber ring, no necktie, uh, you know, another one. No, no, but this is for the ladies out there. That wear the super painful shoes, and they're walking. Oh, I'm like, look, if you're right there. <laughs> you see, this is crazy to me. You know, I used to be a single oh, yeah. man. I would go on dates, and I would right. I would be told, "Oh, we're let's get a drink." You know, around the corner, it's two blocks away in New York City, mm-hmm. and they'd say, "You know, oh well, can we get an Uber?" I'm like, "No, it's two blocks away. <laughs> we're gonna get a car." They go, "Oh, but these shoes—they got like the the Louboutin, you know, the red soles or whatever." So you, no, so you, so you like okay. the uncomfortable I mean, shoes. I, I love high heels. I'm all about it. And it's funny because I like love posting when I when we go, you know, you've, you've seen me do this. When we go out, we get a picture. I'm always like, get the shoes in the picture. And that's, you know, it, it makes a better picture. But also I love my shoes. Turns out there's this like creepy subset online of like men who look for like women's feet. Unfortunate, very, that I can't be uh, showing off my shoes as often. But you know, I like the nice shoes and they're not always going to be comfortable. And some of them I refer to as sitting shoes. Sometimes I wear a sitting shoe. <laughs> See, so, for, yeah. for special Look, events, you, you can do, you know, you can do your rubber ring and your no necktie. You can stay away from my <laughs> batons. <laughs> I sound like I sound like a bum. And the more I look, by the way, back at myself, the camera, I'm like, wow, this really does look like a Zelensky T-shirt. I, I got to <laughs> change this up a little bit. Um, okay, fair, fair enough. Next time I'm going to wear a shirt with a collar because that that's somehow that's somehow fit. I also love telling people all the time about not that I'm some fat. I love history. I'm not a fashion guy, but all of the different fashion trends that actually come to us from the military is is that in itself. And there probably is a book about this, but somebody should write it. You know, people walk around in trench coats. Like, what do they call it? A trench yeah. coat? Well, gee, you know, but I mean, there's so right. much more than that. I mean, even the the, the British in khaki and where does madras come from and all these different things it's all right. tied into camo remains very hip with the kids oh yeah well of course camouflage mm-hmm. is is very much yeah. uh you know a, a fashion trend but there's so much of it um anyway i, I don't want to turn this into a whole I, I do have a fun one for you so okay. you ready for this one and then i promise we'll stop yeah. talking fashion but you're like a very fashionable lady whenever i go oh, yeah. out there's like there's a group yeah. of us that goes out in south florida together we'll all hang out and carol and there'll be a big squad of of conservative media people you know one everybody loves carol and two you know she's just you know she 
She's got some. She's got some uh, some fashion sense. You know, the rest of us were a little. Yeah, uh, you, know? you know, I'm I'm dressed like <laughs> I'm a little I'm a little Zelensky wannabe over here. Um, <laughs> yeah, but your wife, she dresses real good. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, no, she she knows. Yeah. You, that's why you two sit together and you look at the peasants right. across the table. You know, the guys <laughs> that were all out. You know, you know, because you know, you know who rocks the comfortable stuff. Your husband, I gotta say, he li- he likes to look. He likes to be a comfortable guy too. We're together. I've never seen him in a necktie. Does he do the necktie? Oh no. No, he yeah. does not do next size. That's what I'm telling you. Yeah. You, you and him. He yeah, where's, where's is he going on this one? He does not care. We have real. We have solidarity. So the tricorn hat, though, you know, we always think of if someone puts on a tricorn hat, they think, oh, like George Washington, the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, the the. So it's fascinating because people think it's the most American of of things, and in a sense, it is. But the tricorn hat actually comes to us because of Spanish mercenaries fighting in Flanders, modern day uh, Belgium. Uh, and they had this wide Spanish hat that would get in the way when they were doing maneuvers with their muskets, and so they began to flip up the brim on both sides so that when they were on parade ground and moving their rifle around, it wouldn't actually knock the hat off their head, and then that became a style, and the British who were fighting against them saw this and realized, that makes sense. They started the tricorn hat, which we obviously got from the Uh British in the first place, and that is now... As American as apple pie, except it comes from Spanish mercenaries. Um, so right. I'm going right, to play I'm this with- podcast for my uh, history-loving nine-year-old. I think this is the only one he'll ever want to listen to. But I, I imagine he'll give you at least one. Well, actually, actually, that's not what happened. This is what happened. Because that's Oh, nice. Well, that's fine. That's fair. No. I, I will say, if he wants to nerd, nerd out, you got to give him the uh, Buck Sexton show, Shields High, where we oh. do the real Dracula, the history of Vlad Dracul from the 16th mm-hmm. century. Fascinating guy. Fascinating period of history. I uh, did the Siege of Malta, the fall of Constantinople. I sit around doing these oh, things, yeah. which is probably why I don't. Yeah, I'll send them to you. You're, if your son really loves history, they're very. Yeah, he's, he would love to talk about it, listen to it. He's like crushing yeah. these history competitions. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to him and uh, and then he can send his critique and you can you can give it to me gently right. so that I you know afterwards won't feel sad about myself. But I was going to ask the CNN effect that's coming out. But my pillow. Do you have my pillows, by the way? Do I need to hook you up with some my pillows? Do you not have them? I don't have any. No. Uh, all right, I'm going to take care of that. Yeah. And the Giza Dream sheets. Right. The Giza Dream sheets are amazing. Pillows, mattress cover sheets, all this stuff is phenomenal from Mike Lindell's My Pillow. And I've been sleeping on the Giza Dream sheets for years. Carrie loves them. Carol, she's going to love them too. Uh, trust me, the Giza Dream sheets are amazing. They come in as low as twenty nine ninety eight. When you use promo code Buck, it's time to update your sheets, friends, because, you know, they get worn and kind of, you know, tired after a while. Giza Dream Sheets come from a region of cotton name uh, of the same name. Giza, of course. Incredibly soft. You're going to love it. And they're very breathable, but extremely durable. They look good. They feel good. Get some Giza Dream Sheets. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. You get eight weeks of every night sleeping on these sheets to make sure your purchase is great. So just go to MyPillow.com, click on Radio Listener Specials, check out this flash sale on the Giza Dream Sheets. That's MyPillow.com. Click on Radio Listener Specials, check out the flash sale on Giza Dream Sheets, and use my name, Buck, as the promo code, or just call this number, 800-792-3269. All right, so I, I'd mentioned this, I'd promoted this, the CNN effect. Here's what I say it is, as somebody who had previously worked there. I used to be able to have conversations with liberals about things that I disagreed with them on. And I still would be willing to do that, by the way. And I've, 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 I've co-hosted shows with left-wing people, mm-hmm. with self-described, you know, Marxists. Right. Um, I've hoped, I, I, so, so I'm fine with that. I feel, though, that now, even still in the era of Biden, it is very hard to have a conversation. And this is why I say it's a CNN effect, because anytime mm-hmm. you turned on CNN, it was Trump. There was something Trump-related. You know, if, right. if, if, there, if an asteroid hit the, hit the Earth... And and, you know, there was like a barn caught on fire in right. 20, 2019. It was like Trump fails to prevent asteroid. I mean, it was just it was a psychosis. Yeah, that psychosis to me has continued. Like, even though he's not president anymore, I try to talk to a Democrat about anything and it reverts to Trump right away. It, it's yeah. I, I do think it's like a mental illness, like mental, mental illness. Pardon me. I can't speak. There's some problem. Yeah, no, I I think they were deeply damaged by Donald Trump winning. I mean, you were in New York the the day after he won the election in 2016, right? Do you remember anything about that day? Oh, yeah. The the day after he won? It was, there were were two days I was in New York City that reminded me of it. 
the day after Hurricane Sandy hit and Donald Trump's election felt I wasn't there for 9-11. I was in college. But the day okay. after Hurricane Sandy and the day after Trump won, the the feel, the energy on the streets, yeah. exactly the same. Just shock. Shock. It was a rainy day. People were walking around as if like a meteor had hit and it was Donald Trump's fault. Um, it was really just amazing to watch it. It was like their lives had ended. And at the time, I really, not that I didn't want Trump to win. I, I preferred him over Hillary Clinton, but I really didn't like him. And I thought that he was going to be a terrible president. And I just, you know, but I was like, all right, well, Donald Trump won. What are you going to do? That's, you know, that's good, whatever. Um, and people were just stunned. And I don't think that they ever got over it. I think that they just were traumatized by it. They expected to win in such a way that that shock when you don't win something that you thought you were going to win, it didn't go away. They didn't, it, it lasted years for them. Um, I, it's interesting that you call it the CNN effect because I feel like CNN has, you, you mentioned that you can't talk to liberals anymore. And then it's like, you know, but CNN used to have shows where liberals and conservatives talk to each other, right? Well, that, and that's they can't what, that's do what that I mean, anymore. yeah. Yeah, but they can't do that anymore partially because of wokeness. Wokeness says you cannot engage conservatives in, in honest conversation. And that's also what they're doing. They're, they're shutting down the honest conversation and they're saying, but Trump, but Trump. And that makes us finding common ground so much harder because they only have this one thing that they go to and you end up having to defend Donald Trump and everything he's ever done. Yeah, I think that it has become a, it is a, a form of a psychosis. Uh, it's some, there's something about the circuitry of, of liberal brains now where, look, it's obviously not the case with everybody, but it's enough of a situation or it's common enough that I think it is a dominant, I think it is the majority of the Democrats that I try to engage with in any capacity now. Yeah. If I say, hey, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't be teaching uh, queer theory in an African-American studies program in Florida, which, you know, that just came up and they yeah. ended up reverting and not having that in the curriculum people will say to me oh so you know you just think that like what trump says about crt and I'm like what, what, yeah. what are we doing <laughs> like well how do we and and that's why i get worried carol because when you see you know mass movements like bankruptcy like so mm -hmm. many things it happens sudden I mean, it happens slowly then suddenly right it's it's right. it grows right. over time and i've seen a, a a mass movement inside of America where people who think of themselves as very discerning, very intelligent and very good people, actually, mm -hmm. who are mm -hmm. who are leftists, who are Democrats, liberals, progressives, whatever they want to call themselves. I call them commies and I don't mean that, you know, in a nice way, um, but I they will go along with things now that it's not possible for a human being who is capable of independent thought to go along with. And this, has, really become the, it, right? this has become commonplace. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And are you talking about people like in like on Twitter or are, are these like people in your like everyday life? Both. 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 Yeah. Okay. Because I find that the, the people in my everyday life, even the people on the left are way more um, troubled by where the left is going, even if they are themselves pretty far left, even if really they are. There are so many ways that they are on the left. And then Suddenly, they're a women's study degree. What does it really mean when we don't know what a woman is? Right. And and they're challenged by it. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know what to say. And they they don't have the the easy line that the, somebody online, you know, on the Internet has where like everyone who doesn't agree with them is a turf, you know? Right. It, you know, it, intellectually, I, I do think it's interesting that it's not a problem for a person who is of the right, broadly speaking, to break with the right on some issue. Those, yeah, whatever, you know, you know, screw them. I, I don't, I don't care. Oh, the Republican party says, you know, I don't care. I think this, yeah. I think they're wrong mm -hmm. on the following. I, every single conservative I know has a number of issues where, you know, they break with the base or they don't like, you know, whether it's, they mm -hmm. don't like the, you know, globalist Paul Ryan Republicans or they do. And, and you know, whatever the, there are these areas where they'll just yeah. have this, have this separation and I do think, though, that the left very much like a a cult or a a totalitarian in a totalitarian state, mm -hmm. there's a constant fear of saying the imperfect thing that will get them in trouble with their own side. Right. And on gender well, issues, by the way, that's yeah. more prominent, I think, than anywhere else. 
Well, the, the whole thing is with cancel culture is that a lot of it was left on left. It wasn't necessarily the left coming for conservatives. I mean, it, it is in some ways like you have the bake the cake story, you know, out of Colorado. So they do target sort of, you know, non leftists. But for the most part, it was like you wrote something that I don't like. And if you're on the left, you end up apologizing. And then it's like well, you get into that spiral where it's never going to be enough. Remember that book, Dirt? This this woman wrote a, this book that was a really celebrated American Dirt uh very celebrated book. But then it turned out that she wrote about Mexican drug smugglers and she herself was not a Mexican. So she had to apologize. And I think they ended up actually um, not having any public relations for the book at all because, you know, she had obviously committed the worst sin in history, writing about a culture that was not her own. But how would a conservative writer handle that? They'd be like, okay, and I, so what? Yeah, I did that. And I, I'll do it again. And we don't really care as much about their targeting. But once you bend to them at all, you're going to keep bending all the time. That's what we've seen up to this point. And, and obviously the, the progression is always requests for tolerance and then right. push for, uh, you know, a push for acceptance and then demands for celebration. Right. Yep. That's it. It, it just That's it right. always is, is on the same progression progressives uh, where at first it's just let's just all be cool to each other. Right. And that mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that frustrates me so much about the approach of the left is that I think on, on pronouns, for example, is, and, and, mm-hmm. and people say this is small. It is not small. The same way it's not small to switch from illegal alien to illegal immigrant mm-hmm. to undocumented because, you know, the, now at this point, it's like, well, let's just give them documents. Like, what, what do we need immigration right. for? Right. I mean, the, the whole process is undermined by the language itself. The concession of I'm going to use someone's preferred pronouns. They they have used the desire of people on the right to be polite and to be kind in order to get compliance on that issue, for example. And then people get very confused because they go, hold on a second. Why does it feel like we're losing this argument when the other side is crazy? Because you're conceding the argument. I mean, every time I see a story about a transgender individual in the Daily Mail and even sometimes on FoxNews.com, it refer to a he as a she. Mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting because I think my feeling would have been in general use somebody's preferred pronoun, but obviously I'm not using they and I'm not using anything invented and I'm not using any of the new ones. But you're absolutely right where it's never enough. It's never like, okay, I'll use your preferred pronoun. Well, now I need you to use the one that I just came up with today. Um, and, and I'm no longer the pronoun that you thought I was yesterday and now I'm something new and now I'm plural and et cetera. And yeah, they, it, it's never, it never ends. And the thing is that it's not just people on the right that know this. It's just the people on the left are terrified to be canceled and speak, you know, speak out and have their jobs targeted. And in some ways they deserve it, right? Like they, they let this happen to their side, but it, it is still sort of hard to watch people not be able to speak. I want to ask you about some lessons from the, uh, the married world. Carol, now that I have entered these ranks and also yeah. I want to talk, I want to get us in, into some, uh, maybe some hot water by talking about what the kids and I mean the youth, you know, the young the youth, people today yeah. need to know about mm-hmm. relationships and truth and society and all the right. Cause now that I'm a married guy, now I feel like I can lecture everybody on everything. Just be like, Hey, hold on. Sure. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, when it comes to the, the, the young ones, you know what I mean? The, the young bloods mm-hmm. out there that think that, you know, just all a big party. Oh no, I'm here to tell them about other things. <laughs> But I also want to take, I got to take a moment for our sponsor here, uh, which does incredible work. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation honors fallen and severely injured heroes and their families with mortgage-free homes. It's such critical work. This year alone, hundreds of Gold Star and fallen first responder families with young children and our nation's most severely injured veterans and first responders are receiving homes. More than 500 homeless veterans received housing and services last year, and more than 1,500 are receiving housing and services this year. This coming Memorial Day, all the brave men and women lost since 9-11 in the war on terror are having their names read aloud in a Tunnel to Tower ceremony in our nation's capital. Through the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute, the foundation is educating kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Please help America to never forget its greatest heroes. Join me in donating $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. All right, Carol. Um, yeah, you know, now, now I, I, uh, there's a great, uh, do you know, Nate Bargatze, the, uh, the comedian, oh my, God, my favorite, I, I like so rave good. about him all the time. He's, He's such so a fan. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan too. Him? It's so nice to, 
it's funny because I just, it's amazing to see that a brand, the same way today, there are people whose brands in journalism is that they actually do journalism. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they're yeah. not actually a propagandist or a, a partisan right. activist for one right. side or the other. They just, they'll, they'll tell the stories that need to be told and they don't really care. And look, they're not perfect, but they're, that's, that's a fair assessment of uh, what their approach to their work is. Nate Bargatze mm-hmm. is just a comedian. He's actually so just good. trying to tell jokes yeah. that make people laugh, that anyone can laugh at, that are funny. I think he does a great job. But he does this and thing where he says... Something that you might not know, notice yet about him, but you hopefully will down the road. All of his specials are super kid friendly. No cursing, no like oh, sexual yeah. no, anything. No, yeah. Really, like my my twelve year old daughter loves him. We watch like his clips all the time. We watched all three specials. He's just family friendly. It's so weird to be hilarious and family friendly. Yeah, he does such a such a good job. Um, but he has a thing where when you're forty one or four, or, you know, forty three, <laughs> you're like, do you see the memory? You're forty three, and you're like, yeah. yeah, like I can hang out with the twenty somethings. <laughs> You know, but like when you're you see some guys 45, you're like, whoa, old man, like get out of here, you know, because your your whole perception changes. Now, I right. now that I'm married, I turn around and everybody out there under 40 in single uh, single doing? world. I just I just want to, you know, shake my walker, or my uh, my walking stick, my cane in their face, you know, yell, get off my lawn and say, you know, what what are all you kids doing out there with the crazy right. uh, the the messaging and and the the look, I'll say the what they're teaching women in society today about how to conduct their private lives is, I think, is, is super destructive. It's super destructive yeah. at a civilizational level. I think that it's um, something that needs to really be dealt with in, in a serious way as part of a an urgent conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I think that basically to be a. Uh, a Democrat or a leftist uh, feminist woman in America today is to put yourself on an almost certain path to misery. That is my basic contention. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think that women are lied to more than anyone else um, in terms of relationships. And I think that they're taught to not ask for what they want. The idea that they um, can just date around and not care about it. Women are different than men. And what's interesting to me is that you know, it, it comes from the left, this whole idea of like, why would you want to get married? You want to pursue your career. I've never met a woman. And I think you and I maybe even disagreed on this once, but I've never met a woman who actually pursued a career over a man. I, I know that there are women who pursued a career and didn't get married. That happens. But there's plenty of women who did not pursue a career and didn't get married. Um, I've never met a woman who was on a good career path who didn't also want to get married. But it just they they tell them that it doesn't matter that you can be you can be strong and amazing alone and you don't need a man. What do you need a man for? You could open your own jars. Um, and it's just the wrong message. And they teach that relationships are lame and boring and only you know the worst people want to be in them. You want to be single and free. And then when a woman realizes that that's all a lie, a lot of times it's too late. Here's my contention. I don't know if we've talked about this. I think the show Sex in the City, as clever right. and entertaining as it was, mm-hmm. is uh, it's almost as though the commies were trying to come up with a way to infiltrate American <laughs> culture and society to destroy to destroy male female relationships uh, from within. You know, to just have the whole thing implode on itself. Right. To me, that show is a very entertaining, pithy roadmap to misery for and I, you know as somebody who lived in new york basically his whole life till i moved to uh, florida i just saw it i saw it all over the place and i would see so these women only, go ahead yeah my counter to that would be that eventually all of them got married and settled down the lie in that show is that it's so easy to find a right the right person as a woman when you're in your late 30s late 40s in that show um and that it's just you know you're samantha and you're a high-powered pr executive and you marry like the hottest man anybody's ever seen um and that he's gonna just be super all about you even though you're in your 50s and he's in his 20s and that's gonna make sense that generally does not happen um so that's the kind of lies that that show told i i think that but the thing is that they all did eventually kind of settle down into, into relationships and that's ultimately what they wanted well, you know, I guess not to get too into this because it's like, why do I know so much about this show? I mean, the main character never really does, right? As we know, and then, then the movies were made, and not that I saw to. the movies, but, you know, she ends up, right. she kind of does and she kind of doesn't, but just 
the the chasing of these uh, career first lives that they have, and and the one character who doesn't really, uh, you know, the brunette, I can't really, yeah, remember, yeah, mm-hmm. um, I can't really remember her name, but anyway, uh, the, her whole thing, and now now Charlie. people are like, why, why does Buck still yeah. think about Sex and the City? It was very popular in HBO when I was, no, was. you know, yeah. high school age. Everybody was watching it. I mean, it was a show that Beverly Hills 90210, HBO, uh, you know, or um, uh, Sex and the City on HBO. I mean, these were the shows that everybody was watching. Yeah. And I see all these women. I mean, I remember when I graduated from Amherst and there were all these women who were rushing off to go work at Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. and, you know, from my class. And I remember thinking yeah. to myself, like, you know, I- I'm a guy. If I want to spend my 20s and I went to the CIA and, you know, then did some other kind of crazy stuff, but that was my choice. But if I if I was going to spend my 20s um, making a lot of money, which is what people going to invest in banking for, this may be a shock and not so much anymore. But this, you know, 20 years ago was what people were doing. Um, I would assume that I'm mortgaging my 20s at some level, like I'm just going to burn out as much as I can get as much work done, get as far as I can and make as much money as I can and develop as much prestige from the competency that I have as I can. So then at 30 or 35 or even 40 or even 45, I can turn around and have my choice of mates. And I just feel like no one ever stopped to tell the women who showed up at Goldman Sachs or not just to, you know, any big firm, corporate law, whatever, Mm -hmm. at, at any of these places, Hey, you're 23 or 24 if you do this for the next 10 years and this is really your focus, your life choices are changed forever. Just understand so, that. Yeah. So here's another way that the left destroys the path for women. If you are one of these women and you go into this high powered, um, high energy and high earning environment, it would be great to meet a man there, except men now can't hit on you in the workplace because they're, they'd be sexual predators and you're not allowed to date at work. And there's all these you know issues around that. But meeting somebody at work used to make a lot of sense. And if you wanted to meet somebody who was a go-getter at Goldman Sachs, there's really not a better place to meet them than at Goldman Sachs. So it's again, the left is destroying the idea of relationships for these women when that's ultimately what they're going to want. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years. And in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern-day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. 
The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and i i do see a, a rise in a willingness among conservatives in general now to speak mu- with much more forcefulness about about gender roles and about what's going to make for a long-term happy plan and you know mm-hmm. what society right there's everyone look there's always going to be somebody who just wants to travel the world and write books and that's fine yeah. it's not that mm-hmm. people shouldn't have freedom and choice male female or whatever but it's what does society offer as a path that should be replicated in as great as great a frequency as possible to create the most happy, productive and stable society possible. Right. I mean, you know, every policy is going to have exceptions. Everything in the macro, when you break it down to an individual level, is going to have um, cases that are different. That's fine. But people say, well, do you think priests are throwing their lives away or, you know, whatever, because obviously they don't marry. It's (laughs) like, no, obviously there are people that don't need to go down this pathway. But but the other pathway that they're told about, which is just, and it's for women. I'll tell you, it's for guys, too. It's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, telling people to spend their 20s partying, drinking and having sex with as many women as they possibly can, which is what socially successful males are, mm-hmm. are basically told to do. Not ne- not necessarily as many as possible, but, you know, there's a lot of that right. that goes on. Um, that's not actually helpful uh, for society and for those individuals. I think later on and, and people say, oh, you know, again, I've been married for two days and so all of a sudden I'm an expert in everything. But I've known this <laughs> stuff. I've known this stuff for a long right. time. Mm-hmm. I'm coming up on 14 years, so I can definitely play the expert here. Um, yeah, men are lied to also. But again, like you said, the man's window is just wider. And that's the only reason that the men get away with it more than the women do. Um, there's plenty of men who have been destroyed by that culture and who find themselves alone and maybe want to get married but don't know how to connect. And they spent their 20s just messing around with random girls. And it is harder for them to find the right person for themselves. So one of the other ways that the left tells women that they have to like certain things and they can't like other things. And I just don't think that men get the same message that show Mad Men, you know, um, about the ad executives on Madison Avenue in the 60s. There was the character played by John Hamm and he was like this hard drinking, chain smoking, um, you know, womanizing, just jerk. And all these liberal magazines would write these like tee hee hee pieces about how attracted they were to the character Don Draper and how they knew that they weren't supposed to be. But men don't really have that. You you know, you don't really have the like, I'm attracted to the cocktail waitress, but I feel so bad about it. But the left makes women feel bad about what they're attracted to. And that's crazy. What you're attracted to is what you're attracted to. And the fact that, you know, Don Draper did it for so many women is a, a sign that they liked a more powerful guy and that you weren't supposed to like him and you knew you weren't supposed to like him is what the left enforces here. So you used to live in Brooklyn. So, you know, plenty of people on the left. And mm-hmm. you're cool. So you have cool left-wing friends. Did mm-hmm. any of your cool left-wing female friends, to your knowledge, actually think that a guy that was interested in them romantically, who described himself as a male feminist, was doing himself any favors? <laughs> I, I think the ones that I knew um, knew that any male feminist was likely just trying to get in their pants. But... You know, I I know that there's a wider world where the male feminist does enjoy some, you know, perks of being a male feminist. Uh, I also I lived in a commune in Scotland where everybody was a male feminist. And yeah, the ones who could successfully argue their case and make it seem like they weren't just after one thing did quite well with the ladies. 
it's just stunning, stunning the scams that people can pull off. Um, do you think that there's a, a, a room or, or a necessity even for the right and for the Republican Party to really start to articulate a a family and um you know, traditional family values agenda. Again, I feel like it fell off. I used to hear about this all the time in the nineties. Oh, you know, the, you know, traditional family values. People talk about Phyllis Schlafly and how she defeated the equal rights amendment. And there was all this discussion of, of, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, focus on the family, support the family. It fell off. And it does feel like now the, the left and the Democrat party is just, at, at its core, run by a lot of unhappy, you know, cat ladies with, with blue hair and nose rings. Right. And it, I think there should be, but it has to be done in a cooler way. I mean, social media just changed everything. So now the left has on social media, like, you know, uh, polyamory is very popular on social media. And you have these couples like arguing on social media how, you know, monogamy is so out and it's so outdated. And it's like, do you think you're the first people to try this? Like, do you think that throughout civilizations, they haven't considered the idea of being with multiple partners? You're not that unique. And yet you think that you come up with this new idea that's going to work for only you and nobody else, um, and, you know, throughout history. And the fact is it never works. And that's why people settle onto monogamy. It's not because we don't have the imagination to consider having multiple partners. It's because it's always a fail. And so I think the right should target this kind of messaging and show relationships as being a positive thing. If relationships are always a downer, I can see why the marriage rate is decreasing. But, you know, even beyond just the marriage rate, which is a problem and the the birth rate, you know, declining is a giant problem. People are having fewer relationships. They're having fewer friendships. All of this is very bad for our society and it, it needs to be turned around and it has to be turned around in a smart way. And social media really should be utilized in this pursuit. Do you think, uh, I think it's Professor Scott Galloway at NYU who, you know, spits fire about Trump and, and says a lot of things, I think, about the right in general that are, are not, uh, not intelligent and not well thought out. But he does say some things on, on social, broader social issues. You know the guy I'm talking about, by the way? He's started to pick up a lot yeah. of steam. He's been on Bill Maher recently. He's, there are yeah. TikToks and things like that with him. Um, but he talks about what he calls uh, por- uh, Portia polygamy. And he says that in the world of dating apps, which, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. always walking around coming up with their story for how they met their person that is not we met on a dating app. It's kind of funny, right? When you realize right, <laughs> right now, I mean, it's it's gone to the point where um, if you're not on dating apps, actually, you're almost not in the dating pool if you're a single person because... Right. It's there, there's just such a there's been such a, a change in people don't go to nightclubs anymore the same way. They can't do. Work. That's it, you know, because it works and because this is. Well, but you also no, I'm saying have, they can't meet at work. They're not allowed to meet at work anymore. Which oh, is yeah, very they, they, house, yeah, they're, they're you not. You're, oh, no, you're, you're definitely it's very suspect. I mean, I, I, for example, I've never dated anybody at a company, never mind like a direct report or anything like that. I've never dated anybody at a company where I have been an employee right. um, with mm-hmm. the exception of the CIA. But like that's, you know. Like that's like going to a, that that's enormous, and you know, there's you want to think about the CIA is if you don't want to see the person you're dating with the CIA again, you never will, because you know who knows what they're <laughs> going to said next. Um, but in a uh, uh, you know, even there, there were very kind of strict rules about about reporting requirements mm-hmm. and things like that. If you had a relationship internally, you know, in the same office or anything like that, um, I, I just think that you have this situation where women are being. Um, and maybe now this is getting to more contentious territory. Women are being trained to think like men in their dating selection. Uh, and you see that. So, so Galloway talks about Porsche progressivism, or, or sorry, Porsche polygamy, uh, mm-hmm. where he says that 80% of the women have an interest in only 20% of the men, basically mm-hmm. that you have this and, and that women are not, instead of choosing for things that require uh, more of a relationship basis to understand. I, I know the flip side of this. Women will say, but men are so superficial, which brings us to the, yes, men are more <laughs> superficial about women's appearance than women. That This is the way it has been in all of human history until now. Uh, yeah. But you have all these women who are saying, I won't date a guy who's under six foot two. And, and I, you know, and I, and I want a guy right. with a six pack and I want a guy with like lots of tattoos all over his arms and these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is creating 
a society where 30% of men, I think he said, on this is again from Scott Galloway, 30% yeah. of men under 30 haven't had a sexual relationship in the last year. That's mind-blowing. Right. right. And are the women, I mean, are the women having sexual relationships? Because it seems like the 80% can't be just sleeping with the 20%, right? So, you know, it's it's funny. You're right. Men do go for looks more than, you know, women do um, or have. Maybe that's changing now. But women used to go for security. And I, I don't think that was a bad thing. I don't think, um, you know, women choosing partners who are not going to be bad to them is a bad thing. I don't know. I I I really don't understand the concept that I see a lot on social media now where the woman only wants the guy who doesn't want her. And that makes no sense to me. That's like, I can't imagine liking somebody who does not like me. That that just does not compute at all. And that's like what's happening now that they're being kind of trained to like the ones who will never like them back. I also think that there's this, again, that there's this desire to, to treat men and women as though they're the same, whether it's in sports now yeah. and all this stuff, that there's this same, this, this uh, enforced sameness that does not exist. Men and women right. process uh, sexual relationships differently emotionally i know people say oh i know women that get you know they can sleep with a hundred guys and it's a no actually it really is just not true and they can tell themselves this as much as they want but the psychological Mm -hmm. toll on women of conducting themselves this way and i've seen it from plenty of women that i know and plenty Mm -hmm. of women i know who never get in the the number it would be stunning i think to the people in the rest of the country the number of really good looking really interesting and and compelling in a whole range of ways Women in New York City, 35 to 45, that are not married, will probably never get married and will probably never have children, I think would blow the minds of people who don't live in, you know, D.C. or L.A. or, you know, San Francisco. Yeah, I think that big cities have uh, the worst problem of telling women um, what they should be interested in and what they should be looking for and how that really doesn't fit in with what women are and what we actually feel and all all those other things. You're right. We're not the same. I don't know why we need to be the same. I don't want to be like a man. You guys are just not that great. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we kind of smell sometimes. Yeah. Amazing. We, we all, we got, (laughs) we all got man thighs, you know, which we're not, you know, women and women were constructed for, for beauty and aesthetics and, and, you know, the, you know, you're all Aphrodite's, you know, you're all God's gift and, and creating the next generation and all. That's right. and, and guys, you know, we, we can dress, we can dress like Zelensky when we don't even mean to. And things like that can happen. We already we're, married. We're, you don't have to cry anymore. That's right. Um, I didn't say that out loud, did I? So uh, everybody should go get Carol's book, um, which you should uh, get uh, on Amazon or wherever you get fine books, Stolen Youth. Uh, and, coming out March 7th. Coming out March 7th, and also uh, New York Post columnist Carol Markowitz, and also one of the people that helped convince me to move to Florida. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for coming. We're really happy to have you. I thank you in the acknowledgement of the book. I thank the Florida crew. Oh, nice. I have, I'm very I'm very honored to get an acknowledgement uh, as part of the Florida crew. So we're going to save America, and uh, Carol is one of the key people in that process. Carol, thank you so much for being with us, sharing some wisdom. Thank we'll have you, you back soon. Thanks so much. Much. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation made a promise to ensure we never forget. Since then, Tunnel to Towers has been committed to supporting America's heroes and their families. Heroes like U.S. Army Specialist Michael Hook. Hook was killed in Iraq when his helicopter was shot down. He enlisted in the military after graduating high school and left behind a pregnant fiancé who gave birth to a son that he would never meet. But thanks to the generosity of friends like you, Tunnel to Towers paid off the mortgage on his family's home relieving a financial burden and bringing stability. The foundation helps Gold Star and fallen first responder families, as well as our nation's most severely injured heroes and homeless veterans. Join Tunnel the Towers on its mission to do good. America's heroes are counting on you. 95 cents of every dollar you give goes directly to its programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel the Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices our heroes have made for us. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.